On today's podcast, I had Alex and Layla Hormozy on. They are the owners of Acquisition.com, a portfolio of companies doing over $100 million a year in revenue. And we talked about how they go about running their businesses. Um, If you don't know who they are, they are social media superstars and entrepreneurs. Um, Alex wrote a best-selling book on Amazon. It's got almost 5,000 reviews. Uh, They sold their company for almost $47 million. They're just doing a ton of crazy stuff. And in fact... They are literally the only people I watch on social media because so much of what they say is applicable to me, whereas, you know, most content you see is very generic and, you know, I guess lower level. And so to hear the tactical things they're doing in their businesses and for their portfolio of companies is really crazy and really interesting. So I think you're going to get a ton of value out of this episode. Now, let's jump into it. Welcome to the Ryan Pineda Show, where our mission is to invest I only expect to make money in things that I understand. Innovate. It's about believing in the future and thinking that the future will be better than the past. And inspire. I am much more likely to hit my goal just due to putting it out there. Now rocking with the best. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Ryan Pineda Show. Today, I actually have our most requested guest ever. (laughs) Alex is pointing at Layla. I have none other than, I'll just say the Hormoses. What's up? What's up? Thanks, Thanks for, having for having us. us. Yeah, it's good to, to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you guys. Um, you know, you literally have been the most requested guest. And um, it's funny because I don't really watch much content or YouTube. And I came across Alex's channel when he first really started getting it going, I think around like 20,000 subs. And I was like, dude, this guy is super smart. Like, how does nobody like know about him yet? (laughs) And I was like, I told a bunch of people, I was like, go watch this guy's sales training. I was giving it to my sales team and everything. And, you know, sure enough, started just rolling and growing. And um, then I found out we shared um, a similar guy with our TikToks. And I was like, oh, dude, like link me up with this guy because it's great. And then you started producing content too. And it was just like, now, I don't even know, six, nine months later, you guys have exploded. Yeah, people find my stuff and then they find Layla's stuff and then they stop consuming my stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely different stages in the journey in avatars. Yeah, I would say bigger companies in general probably consume more of Layla's stuff uh, because I'd say like more of my stuff is uh, tends to be more promotional in nature and like monetization, pricing, strategy, etc. With probably some elements of viewpoints and perspectives that are probably unique what we were talking about earlier. But like Layla's is so like this is how you scale a company. Um, and it's a lot of the stuff that people don't know, which is like, how do you hire? How do you recruit? How do you build culture? How do you incentivize? How do you build comp structures? How do you, you know what I mean? Like all these other things that are actually necessary to build a company that people have no idea exist. And usually it's those bigger companies that, that are attracted to that type of thing. Yeah. When I watch Alex's, um, I think you talk very tactical and you know, everything's really great, but you also go a lot into philosophical things. Right. Yeah. And whereas Layla's like, boom, this is how you do it. Like, what are you doing? Like, this is very much to the point. Here's how it goes. Uh, yeah, I think Alex speaks a lot more to entrepreneurs specifically. Like, yeah. I think his content is like, for someone who's an up-and-coming entrepreneur, someone who's aspiring to be an entrepreneur, I think like your content just like really speaks to them. Mine is not that way. And that's because that's not the nature of my role in the company. So I think I'm a lot more like the ancillary roles around somebody like Alex. Yeah. So for those people who don't know you guys, you want to give a quick rundown of who you guys are? Yeah, uh, so we are married. We own acquisition.com. Before that, six years ago, we started a company called Gym Launch, which was where we would fly around and do gym turnarounds, so kind of like gym rescue, like bar rescue. Um, We did that for a year and a half. Um, We did 32 gym turnarounds in that period of time. 
And we realized it was a very difficult business to scale. And so then we flipped from doing an in-person turnaround business to licensing. And that was when the business really went from, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars a month to a few million dollars a month uh, in a very short period of time. And so um, that business took off in 2018. Um, In 2019, we started our supplement company, Prestige Labs, which sold through that distribution base. So we ended up growing to over 4,500 locations that licensed our materials for basically, it was a white label franchise. That was kind of the idea. So how can we give franchise level support, but allow them to keep their autonomy and their brand for like a micro gym owner. And so that was gym launch. Prestige Labs was the supplement company that was the physical products arm behind that. So they could all stock their stuff. And, you know, we solved a lot of problems that specifically gym owners were struggling with, which is what Prestige Labs was, was great for. And we have really, really competitive uh, affiliate commissions. And so that was an entirely affiliate based company. And that company did really well um, or still, still does. And then the uh, third company we started was Allen, which was a software company that solved the problem of working leads. And so most brick and mortar gym owners get leads from marketing or running ads, whatever, and they don't work the leads. And so it was like this huge issue for acquisition for them. And so we saw where kind of chat was going. We saw where machine learning was going. We figured we could bridge that gap for them. And we ended up being able to double the amount of leads that would show up on average to a gym. And then if we found out that we actually use it on any brick and mortar business. And so that ended up um, doing really well. And uh, so we exited all three of those um, last year. So we exited the software company in June of 2021. And then we exited uh, Prestige Labs and Gym Launch in uh, December of 2021. So we sold uh, two-thirds stake of Gym Launch and Prestige Labs to APG, which is a uh, private equity firm uh, for $46.2 million. And then... Um, and then we started doing acquisition.com kind of at the same time because that's what we kind of wanted to do next. So we started that, I think the first company we took on was in 2020, June of 2020 or May of 2020. Yeah, you know, it was let's take on one or two, yeah. which we know we could deliver, we could do really well with without distracting ourselves from the sale. Yeah. But we didn't want to actually full on start another company because our whole goal was that we knew that we had split focus. You know, we had started multiple companies Mm -hmm. and we do really well with the two of us on one company. And so the goal was to divest our majority interest in those companies and then just full on focus on the new thing. And there's so many things that can happen when you sell a company that we were like, dude, we're not going to full on start it until we know that we've sold the other ones. Yeah. And I can attest to this because... I actually had your COO, now CEO, um, reach out to me. It was pretty much like after we had first talked, maybe like, when was that, six months ago or so? Mm-hmm. And um, he was like, hey, you know, I, I was a baseball guy too. Mm-hmm. You know, I know you're uh, a baseball Kale. guy. Yeah. yeah, Kale. And I was like, oh, tight. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm the COO at Gym Launch. And I was like, oh, dude, I just talked to Alex for the first time. Like, you know, let's link up. And so we, we got on a Zoom um, and I had him get on a Zoom with, my COO for my education company. I'm like, how are you guys getting customers at gym launch? Like, yeah. Tell me how you're doing your sales team. And like, he kind of explained everything to us. Like we sat there for an hour and like, I was like, wow, there's so many things we don't currently do that we can do so much better at, especially like on the outbound side. Yeah. We that don't great. do any outbound at all. Oh, that's super cool. I didn't know that you, they linked up. That's fun. Yeah, I didn't know either. He's yeah. a savage. Yeah. Kale. Kale's a machine. Yeah, he is a machine. Well, he's a baseball guy, of course. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, you know, it's funny because people are like, oh, you sold the company. Congratulations. You guys are amazing. And I'm like, dude, it was like we couldn't have done it without Maggie and Kale. Yeah. And so, you know, because obviously anyone that's buying, if they want to see two founders exit that have like the faces of the company, yeah. you have to have people who are really strong to take their place. And so yeah. they're, they're great. Yeah. Why? Um, what was the reason for 
selling two thirds? Like why not sell the whole thing or keep the yeah. majority? So we believed that Jim Lunch was, it, I mean, we still do that Jim Lunch is going to be a lot worth a lot more in the future than it is today. Um, and so we wanted to have as much. So the, I think if you, if you zoom out, the question is what problem are we solving? And so for us, the problem that we're solving was not liquidity. Cause you know, we'd probably taken $45 million in distributions up to that point from those two, you know, those three companies up to that point. So like we'd had, like we didn't need the money. Um, but it was much more, we needed the headspace. And so we needed to not be responsible for all of that stuff. Um, and that might've just been a story that we were telling ourselves, but at least we, because it was so inextricably linked with our faces leading into it, I, I still kind of had an identity that was attached to it. Um, and I probably could have done like more pondering and things like that to try and work on it. But like the shortcut was we'll sell two thirds. We'll still have a big chunk of the business. Um, and we'll be able to do the thing that we kind of wanted to do next, which was acquisition.com. And if we, if the, if the first two companies that we took on weren't as successful as they have been, I don't know if we would have sold, but the, you know, the first two companies and, uh, well, you know, all the companies don't run very well, but the first one, first two that we've had the longest have just really, really done well. And so we were like, all right, this is, uh, this is what we really want to do. And then, you know, we built acquisition.com. And so now that does uh, about 13 million a month between the portfolio companies. So explain to everyone like what acquisition.com is. Yeah. So we work with internet businesses. Typically, I would say the majority of our businesses are e-learning and training companies um, as a whole. It's probably 80%. And then 20% are just, I would say, generic service, service-based businesses. Um, and that's at least the split. That hasn't been purposeful, but that's been um, what it's been up to this point. And, uh, you know, we know those spaces really well. And so minimum size is $3 million. Um, I think the biggest company we have does, you know, about $6 million a month. And so there's a big range there. Uh, in terms of size. So, you know, on the small side, it's 250 a month and on the high side, it's 200,000 a day. (laughs) Right. Uh, so it's a little bit different. Um, but you know, we just, we've done that, you know, 3 million to 30 million jump, uh, six times now. And so we just really know what that looks like. And so we look for businesses that are right at that range that have a good, uh, leadership team that have really deep expertise within, some sort of thing that they're teaching. Cause that's a big lever. Like how good you are at the thing matters a lot. Now we know the businessing around that to really optimize and, and scale it and drive profitability and add acquisition channels, increase lifetime value, decrease churn, all that kind of stuff. But, um, taking companies from three to 30 that are internet based founder led businesses is kind of the bread and butter. And so that's what we do at acquisition. So, you know, your target is to get a, you know, business currently doing 3 million, maybe more, minimum, minimum. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, you know, obviously you get the biggest return taking them from 3 million to 30 million plus, mm-hmm. right? So selfishly, I have a couple of companies like that yeah. in the, <laughs> in the um, internet space. Yeah. So what are the biggest bottlenecks you see to go from three to 30? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, if I were uh, looking at it, I think to go from three to 30, <clears throat> First off is they're typically missing. They don't even have the completed first layer of leadership. And then in order to get, you need that in order to get to usually 10 to 15. And then you're going to need that second layer of leadership in order to get to 30. And so it's typically building out, you know, to get to 10, you usually need like one high level executive. um, And then you need to fill out that like manager level leadership team. And then in order to get to 30, you need to have really both of those levels. So that's the first thing in terms of people. In terms of like the other pieces of the business, their product packaging and pricing is usually not optimized at all. So typically we have to redo the whole structure. So all their offer structure, all the product, all the pricing, all the packaging, it's just not optimized. They don't typically, they don't, they're undercharging or they're not charging for the right 
things. They don't know what's actually valuable to the customer. Yeah. And so we help them figure out what's the thing that's actually valuable to the customer. And then who is your freaking customer, right? Because you can say who it is, but like who's actually buying and who's actually like in your Facebook group or in your CRM yeah. is a different story. Um, and then I would say that the other two pieces to our data. So getting the data in place, it's really, really tough to scale without that. And so getting them into a system that actually can that their team one wants to use because it's one to get you on a system, but it's the second yeah. thing is you have to get them on a system that their team can actually use easily and it has usually a good interface. Um, so that's the third one. And then I would say that the last piece to that is just scaling the talent at the top, which is the culture, which is the soft stuff that we go over with them. And honestly, I think helping that CEO and integrator, it's typically a duo that we work with, um, just raise up in terms of their level of leadership and the kind of culture that they have because I don't think that in the beginning they realize how important it is. And so we reinforce that on day one from working with them. And so we really hammer home like dialing and what the culture is so that as we scale, we don't lose that. Right. So it seems to me, and I mean, it, it seems obvious just like talking about it, but like people, like most people just, they don't have enough manpower yet. Mm-hmm. Totally. And what do you see as like the biggest needs for hiring? Like, is it on the marketing side? Is it on the sales side? It depends very... wildly on the company. Yeah. yeah. Like, if it, you have a product-driven entrepreneur, they probably have, you know, really good product and innovation, R&D, things like that. Um, maybe decent customer success. Probably the tracking's usually not in place, and they usually don't have a very clear customer journey. They're not, you know, measuring time to value. They're not, you know, actively measuring NPS or creating customer health scores, things like that, that we can you know, have predictive metrics around how we're going to drive, you know, lifetime value. But they'll usually be better there than they are on like the sales and marketing front. And so it's really just like, where do we feel like the constraint of the system is? And then just ruthlessly prioritizing and attacking that. And so on the flip side, if we have a very promotion driven entrepreneur, then it's usually the back of the house that needs to clean up. And so, you know, for us, because we deal with the whole of the company, um, we attack it end to end. Right. Yeah. It's funny. I, before this podcast, I had, um, this guy's name's Kiala and, you know, we're talking about internet marketers, right? And most internet marketers are great marketers, great promoters. They suck at ops and fulfillment. And then, you you know, you get guys who are really passionate about what they do and they just don't want to talk about it. Right. We were talking about my, you know, my buddy, Graham Stephan, who we partnered with, you know, he's not the greatest promoter, you know, but great product, right? His product is his content and what he's doing. So I think it's cool to see that. So what would you say, at least on the marketing side, right? Because you got your book, $100 million offers, right? Which is all about marketing, which was a fantastic book for anyone who has not read it yet. Go get it. It's 99 cents on Amazon. Like you can't, (laughs) you'd be dumb not to buy it, right? So, you know, quick plug there. But, uh, you know, in that marketing book, something that really hit home was all these ways to market that I currently don't market, right? Like, you know, I learned to market on the house flipping side by going direct to seller, right? We would run TV commercials, direct mail, cold call, all that stuff. But when I went to the internet-based businesses, I was like, oh, social media, this will carry me. And it has to this point. And then I've pretty much abandoned, you know, affiliates, uh, outbound, anything like that. Like, what, what do you see with all these companies you guys evaluate and look at as like, I guess, the bread and butter with internet companies like for their marketing strategies is there a consistency or a theme i would say i mean the predominantly I would say most of them run paid ads and have some sort of strong organic or both that's i would say like that's the majority of the companies that that come to us not to say that that's what we need them to do or what we end up building with them 
but that's, that's where they're at usually when they, they meet with us. Yeah. I mean, I would say that uh, there's the companies we take on versus the companies that inquire. Most of the companies that inquire have figured out paid ads. Their product is usually not honestly like to the point yet where they've figured out a, a really strong organic stream. We have some companies that we take, when we find those ones, those are usually some of the best because they have a great product. Um, but a lot of the ones that inquire and are at that level usually don't have the organic because the product just isn't quite good enough yet. And so the organic really works against them. Um, and then most of them just don't have the operational fortitude to do outbound. Right. And so they might say like outbound, like, oh, I run ads and then they DM me and messenger. Like that's <laughs> yeah. not, that's yeah. not outbound. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it takes, you know, eight months to get outbound working. So they tip, it's typically yeah. just something paid and it's usually not on brand. It's not aligned with their culture. You know, there's a lot of things. It's not calling out the right person. So there's a lot of room for optimization. Yeah. yeah. 100%. We, we get a lot of gains just from just filling in holes. Like the first year we mostly just fill in holes and almost like by accident, we'll triple the profit of the company without even like really putting the big stuff in place yet. Yeah. Cause it's, it's interesting. We like, you know, we say between three and 10, because the thing is, is that when you take on a business and we have that are bigger, mm-hmm. it's very different. It's fixing and yeah, fixing yeah. is taking something, having, you're basically negative. So it's like when you take on someone between three and 10, they're at zero and you just have to take them to 10. When you take on someone that's at 20 or 30 and they're stuck, you are starting from like a negative eight and you've got to take them to negative four, negative two, yeah. zero. And so it's just, it's a lot easier to start fresh. They've, to, to give more, more words around it, they have incurred debt usually multiple types of debt. They've incurred cultural debt. They've incurred management debt. They've incurred technical debt in terms of their their systems uh, that they're operating on. And so we have to basically pay down that debt before we can, can grow again. So like one of the companies we had, um, we pretty much almost like maintained for the first almost nine months and then it tripled in the next six months. Mm. And it was just like, Org trucker, move people around, get these people out, restructure this team, fix the compensation over here. You know what I mean? Just like all the all the stuff that no one wants to talk about, but like that's what builds sellable businesses that have true enterprise value. Right. If you're listening to this podcast, then my guess is you're interested in real estate investing. Some of you are just starting out while others are trying to scale their business to the next level. But the problem is with so much information out there, most people don't know which program or coach to trust. Well, I'm a bit biased, but I believe my company, Future Flipper, can help you get to the next level. We've coached thousands of students from all over the world on how to build their real estate investing business. It doesn't matter whether you want to flip, wholesale, or buy rentals. Our coaching program has everything you need to become a great investor. There are many things that we include with coaching, but to give you a few examples, you're going to get an accountability coach. These are people that have had success in their own business, and they want to make sure that you achieve success in yours. We also have all of our documents, our systems, and processes that I've used to buy hundreds of homes. You can copy and paste them directly into your own business. And we have events where you get to meet me, top-level guest speakers, and other students who are crushing it. My students do deals with each other, and I personally do deals with them too. In fact, at a recent event, I just honored over 20 people in our program that made over a million dollars in the last year. So if you want to grow your real estate business, head over to futureflipper.com and apply for a call with our team. The call is completely free and they can help point you in the right direction whether you work with us or not. So go to futureflipper.com and book your call today. For the last year, the real estate market has been on absolute fire. Prices are at all-time highs, interest rates are at all-time lows, and there is more money in the economy than ever. But with so much competition, many investors are sitting on cash, struggling to find great deals. 
If this sounds like you, then you need to invest with Pineda Capital. With my network and social media following, we get access to the best real estate deals all over the country. And if you're an accredited investor, you can invest with me on those deals. In fact, last year, we purchased a 334-unit apartment complex in Georgia for almost $20 million. We expect it to be worth well over $30 million when it's all said and done. Our goal with each deal is to build in so much equity from the beginning that we're able to refinance our investors' cash out and own the properties together with little to no money into the deal. And the best part is, you don't have to do anything. Our team will find the deals, handle the renovations, get them leased, and eventually refinanced or sold. All you have to do is provide the capital. So if you want exclusive access to our deals before they hit the public, go to PinedaCapital.com to schedule a call. We can put your money to work today to start getting you great returns. So go to PinedaCapital.com now to get access to our deals. So when you guys are looking at acquiring these companies, are you only looking for ones that people want to sell? Mm. Mm-mm. No. Go for it. No, we we align ourselves with whatever the founder wants. Yeah. And so like the way that we get, you know, make money off of, you know, our investments, we align to make sure that whether they sell or not, that's one of the things that we didn't, why we're not like traditional PEs. Traditional PE is usually incentivized to get someone to sell to a specific buyer within a certain amount of time against whatever the founder wants. Usually they force them to, and they usually have like a drag along, right? Which means that they can force them to sell. Yeah. We just never want to do that because we're entrepreneur first. And so it's really aligning ourselves with whatever that that person wants, which we make sure that we figure out within the first two weeks of working together. Right, right. So what does a typical structure look like, right? You know, somebody comes in, they're like, hey, you know, take a look at my business and you guys do your due diligence on it. And yeah. you're like, all right, this looks interesting. You know, you have a call. Like these deals being struck, I've heard you say in the past, you know, you only want minority stakes in yep. this, right? Because you want them to, you know, lead the charge. Yeah. So is a lot of this just you guys buying into the company or are you just they giving you equity for your expertise? Like how's all that playing out? It's a combination. It, you know, it's a case by case basis. We have some companies that we have put cash in. We have companies that we haven't put cash in. Um, the big thing is like, what problem are we solving? And so I'd say the vast majority of the companies that we are working with are internet based companies. They are growing, they're profitable, they have cash flow, And so usually the founder is like, they wouldn't, if we were to appropriately value the company, it's usually not actually valuable because no one would really buy it because the founder could never actually step away. So it's really just them with a thousand hands. You know what I mean? And so the valuation would be really low. And for most of them, they don't need the cash. They need the expertise. Mm -hmm. And so for the majority of the situations, it ends up just being cool. We'll take a meaningful enough stake that, that we care, but not so much so that you stop caring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's really trying to strike that balance. And then, um, you know, we have incentives for us to try and like triple the company within five years. And that's like our big, you know, goal that we drive towards. But because we are minority partners, um, it's basically like everything kicks in after we triple. Um, and so that's kind of like what we drive towards uh, with those companies. So we get a percentage of cash flow and we have, you know, some profits, interests or like equity like um, arrangements within the company so that if they, you know, if they choose to sell in that period of time, you know, we're, we're incentivized there. But because of the combination of cash flow and um, profit interests, which is just a fancy word for equity-like stuff for anyone who's listening, um, we are we are balanced in our incentive between holding and selling. Whereas if we were like just equity, then we would be over-indexed on just trying to sell basically right. as fast as we can and get a big multiple on it. Yeah. But most of the founders that we're dealing with or that, that are approaching us are like, I really want to take this thing to the next level. They're 100% motivated to do it. Um, and they just want more help to get there faster and make fewer mistakes. Got it. So what do you guys think about just the different options for, you know, having this, um, 
exit event. You know, it seems like, you know, you guys obviously sold. Mm-hmm. Um, why not go public or something like that? For acquisition.com or for those companies? For say gym launch. Like why, yeah. why not yeah. take gym launch public when you guys were doing it? I think again, it's, it's what problem you're solving for. Taking it public would have again, Taken you would have been the one taking it right. public. Yeah. And we just knew, you know, for a lot of people, they're building something and it's the right foundation to build more upon. Like, I think you're doing that, right? It's like you built the one company that's now building other companies, right? right. When we looked at gym launch, we said, could this build what we want to build within acquisition.com? And the answer was not eloquently. Like it would actually be complicated because everything was geared towards fitness. And so we could build a fitness version of acquisition.com within mm-hmm. gym launch and we could, you know, take companies public and do all those things there. But we were like, do we want to be, you know, isolated to fitness? And the answer was no, we already weren't isolated to fitness in the companies that we were working with. We didn't want to continue to go further into that niche because we have other businesses that we have expertise in. And so we didn't want to isolate ourselves to that. Yeah. And so ultimately it was like, we could take it public. We could do all these things. We just felt like we were going further down a path. That wasn't the path we wanted to go down. Right. That makes sense. So, I mean, obviously while you guys were building gym launch acquisition.com came up as this idea and vision. Mm-hmm. So like what gave you guys the motivation to want to go about that route? Well, we had one guy who somehow like found his way on my calendar. It's, it's kind of funny. Um, and, uh, you know, in the first five seconds, he was like, okay, I'm really sorry. I lied to get on your calendar. And normally I'd be like, all right, that's not, you know, good. Um, <laughs> but he's like, I promise it'll be worth your time. I was like, all right. And so um, he gave me his pitch and he, he, had, he had done, he had taken, uh, you know, a brick and mortar facility uh, from, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars a year, like $1.6 million a year, just using like all the free content that we had put out just for the gym space. So he'd been like super following stuff for a long time. Um, and he'd been doing that for a few years. And uh, he's like, I really want to take this thing and do what you did with gym launch in my niche. And um, it just ended up working out so well um, with that particular founder and, and his wife that it, I was like, I, I loved doing it so much. And I really enjoyed being able to just like solve so many problems ahead of time that we had you know, struggle to figure out. And so the line of growth on that company is faster, bigger, more profitable than gym launch was, you know what I mean? And so it was like, man, let's do like, and that's where I think the the fire kind of lit within both of us. We're like, this is what I really want to do. Um, and we, you know, we've been in fitness for 10 years. And so we just, we knew we could build a fitness conglomerate um, and just do M and a and start, you know, buying franchises and buying chains of gyms and buying marketing agencies and things like that within that space, buying fitness coaching companies, whatever. Um, but it's just, and that would have a hundred percent been a great path to wealth or more wealth. It just wasn't the path that we felt like doing. And, you know, I think I talk about this from my worldviews a lot, but like, you know, the marginal utility of money beyond a certain point, you know, decreases. And so, um, we wanted to do different things. Yeah, no, that makes a hundred percent sense. So, you know, you guys plan to do acquisition.com for a long time. Is there any plans to sell it at one point or? No, we, um, you know, obviously any good business could be sold at any point in time is kind of the way we look at it. But right. we said it from day one, we don't want to sell acquisition.com. We want it to be the foundation that we can build other things upon. So what we're doing right now with it, you know, like we, we're talking about the types of businesses that we're taking on right now. That's for the first pot of, you know, say, I don't know, anywhere between 15 to 25 businesses and we'll cap it. And then we might say that we're going to open a pod that's for SaaS or e-commerce or you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so there's variety there. There's different routes that we can take in terms of maybe we decide to buy companies outright one day. I mean, there's a lot of different stuff we can do. And it feels like it would be a shame to then get rid of the, the machine that builds the machine, yeah. right. right? Which is really what we wanted to build. Yeah. Um, 
So I could see us spinning up other things under acquisition.com and selling those off for yeah. sure. I just don't think that we want to sell acquisition.com. Yeah. So uh, we don't want to sell the goose. We want to sell the eggs if we're ever, you know, going to do the exit path. But no, for us, it's, you know, there was, there were a number of assumptions that had to be true for us to kind of hit what we wanted to do. And so it was like, we have to be more popular in the future than we are today. We have to invest in businesses where the marketplace is growing faster than, than the, the S and P 500. Um, we have to believe that we can, um, meaningfully drive value to those particular companies. And we have to uh, do business with people that, uh, that we think are exemplary and that's both internal and external to the company. And so if those four things are true, then we will be able to you know, realize this vision. And so that's more or less been kind of the, the assumptions that, that everything in acquisition.com was built off of. Yeah. So I, the way I look at it is like, you guys are creating kind of like a black stone where you're going to have all these companies that you guys own so do you plan to maybe take acquisition.com public to get the funding needed to buy all these companies like down the road as you scale or what's the plan for that? There's, I mean, we've, we've, uh, we've had plenty of discussions about it. I mean, yeah. I like, there's, there's things that I do like about the going public part, which is just, you know, all of a sudden your equity is, is liquid and you can, you can issue shares and you can, you know, have access to debt markets and things like that, which I think are cool, but there's also a lot of headaches associated with being public. And so, uh, I think we lean more towards just keeping it private this whole time. Um, and if we want to do something, we can in the future. But like, because of the audience size that we have, you know, if you look at like we were talking about Graham Stephan and, and Grant Cardone earlier, um, if we were to do something, I'd rather just raise funds from the audience and allow them to participate in the in the in the stuff that we do because I feel like that would be like way. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. something more what we would like to do is like, you know, eventually with say not maybe not the companies we have right now, but yeah. a specified pod, we say we're going to grow this pod with the intention that uh, one day we can say, all right, we have now five years of returns that we can say this is our return for the last five years and they're fantastic. Now I feel like ethically I could take someone else's money and say, hey, what if we bought the other X percent of all these companies in this yeah. pod, which we've already grown from day one. So like, what's the likelihood that we're going to continue to succeed with these companies? So it's yeah. like stacking the, in the deck, you know, the stacking the deck in our favor. So, you know, from a diligence perspective, it's not like, okay, we've got this company. It looks really interesting. <laughs> we already know. Right. It's yeah. like, we've been doing this for five years. We've already, you know, five yeah. X the profit of this business. And we know what the next, you know, five X looks like. And so, yeah. But, and so yeah. we might take this piece and then the fund takes this piece and then we still have majority now in the company so we can, you know, drive the direction even more. Yeah. No, I freaking, I love that idea. That's super smart. So let's talk about how you even get these businesses to come to you. So, you know, social media has been something that's drastically changed, um, you know, the world period and business owners as a whole, right? Like yeah. it's like, dude, if you're not on social media, you know, it's like, does anyone know about your business? Right? Like yeah. that's just what it seems like. And you both recently came on the scene, like, you know, going full force. What was the catalyst behind that? Yeah, we can. Yeah. So I figured with this company, you know, in contrast to some of the other companies we've had in the past, it had to be something that was inbound. And so like true inbound, like I wouldn't, like I would say paid ads is like in between, you know, inbound and outbound. Um, but like, I didn't want to build a company where we're soliciting people saying, Hey, we're going to help you grow your business. You don't know who we are. Um, and by the way, you know, we're going to, you know, buy in for a minority. It just like, you know, there wouldn't be trust. There's just a lot of things that would be missing. So I figured that this company would make the most sense to build off of an organic inbound, you know, following. And I didn't have one. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, looking at Grant and what he did with, uh, with his fund and whatnot, I was like, all right, well, real estate's not my game. Um, but you know, I, feel pretty confident that, you know, high cash flow digital businesses are our game. And so if, if that's what we're going to do in 10 years, then uh, start today, you know, and that was kind of the, the thought process a year and a half ago. Yeah. And honestly, 
looking at like because we both you know we're IDing about this business. The how you bring in customers affects the entire business, totally. and so even like looking at the kind of talent that you can acquire when you have like a very volatile acquisition strategy, you're not going to acquire the same kind of talent you can if you have a very stable, reliable acquisition strategy. And so we know that if we can build this moat, which maybe it takes a lot longer to build, that's okay. It's still worth building because of the kind of business that we can build underneath of that. Yeah. And I agree. Like most of my customers have been all organic inbound. And so like, even when things aren't necessarily going well, like if, you know, they don't get the service that they were hoping for, something happens, they're not immediately like, oh, you know, bad review, scam. They're like, hey, like, I get it. You know, they're much just more easygoing than somebody that you had to do a hard sell on to buy your product. Yeah. And I think by the nature of what we do, you know, it's investing and be partnering with people. It's yeah. not even like, I mean, we talk to these founders of the company every day, pretty much all yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's it's just a very different, it sets the relationship up for success this way rather than if it were paid or outbound, I just don't think that we'd be set up for success. And I don't think we'd be able to have as much influence in those companies as we do now. And so I think it would be disadvantageous for them and us. And it's a, and because our relationship is a minority stake, it's much more based on trust and influence because like we don't, we don't have majority. So like we can't force someone to do something. And so we have to have people who share our values and like trust us. And if we're like, Hey, we really think you should make this move. And it might seem scary. They're like, all right, I trust these people. I'm going to do it. And that happens honestly all the time. Yeah, because of just all of the content and value you've put out there. It's like, yeah, if you tell me to do this, I already believe you. You don't need to sell me on doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Trust is a um, a lubricant for doing business. Things <laughs> happen a lot faster. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So, I mean, obviously you guys are putting out amazing content. Like, how much of your time do you think you spend on the content side versus like the meat or the business side? It's different between both of us. So you can answer for yourself first. I would say, um, I mean, the vast majority of our time is on the business uh, and the businesses that we have in the portfolio. Um, we've been pretty good, you know, Caleb's here behind the camera. Um, we've been pretty good about capturing uh, way more of the stuff we've been doing. And so I think that's dramatically cut down. We were talking about this earlier on the actual amount of like direct to camera type stuff. Um, but like for me, the YouTube channel, I make, you know, two to three videos a week, which ends up being me usually like one day every two weeks, I'll just knock out, you know, four to six videos and um, beyond that, I use Twitter a lot. Uh, and that's kind of like where I test my short, it's really just like stream of consciousness. And then that, based on what people you know find interesting there, that's usually what, what seeds the short form video content. And uh, we can, uh, you know, we knock those out pretty quickly um, because those are, I don't know, those are easy for me to do because I've made ads for so long. They have similar like pace, you know, to like an advertisement. And so... Um, we enjoy doing that. But besides that, it's really just, we have the long form videos, we have the short form videos and we've got tweets and that's, um, that's the majority of what we do. And, you know, tweets get repurposed as, um, as Instagram posts as well. And that's, I mean, that's the, that's, that's it. You know what I mean? That's the whole, that's everything. Sounds so simple. What about you? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, same stuff, but I think I know what, you know, with acquisition.com being new, it's not, it would be irresponsible for me to prioritize making content over getting the infrastructure in place. Like we're heavily investing in talent and hiring and getting the, you know, structure in place to scale. And so that, because that's my role in the company, like I, I actually realized today, I was like, oh shit, like I haven't made a YouTube video in like three weeks. And so <laughs> and I, I told our YouTube guy, cause in the beginning, he's like, you're going to do what Alex does. He does three times a week. And I was like, oh, I'm not doing three times a week. No. I was like, I'll do like maybe one a week. And then he'll be like, dude, we don't have one this week. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. 
Like, okay. Because it's irresponsible. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm just always going to be more internal facing. And so actually that's when, you know, when I said, I really do want to make the content because I think it'll help the companies and help them be more well-rounded if they have both of our perspectives. But I was like, I cannot do direct to camera. It's not scalable. And so I, I was listening to Gary Vee and he had this one line where he just said, dude, I'm an operator. He's like, you don't get it. I spend 99% of my time on my businesses. And I was like, I'm an operator. And I was like, I need someone to capture rather than me creating and that was when we really had the conversations of like, because I kind of came to, I was like, dude, I, I can't, how are you doing this? And he was like, I don't think I can either anymore. And so <laughs> well, we were like, okay. I've come to that conclusion too, yeah. you know, yeah. for the last two years, I've been like, all right, I'm focused on building this media business and yeah. you know, it, it is a business, right? So like making this content and everything. And now I've come to the conclusion. I'm like, yep, you know what? I'm just filming like me doing business and that's the content now. That's just way easier. Like you don't have to like dedicate time to go film it's live videos. Yeah. And it's realer. You know I mean? People are, people are like, I really wish I knew what like your day looks like. It's like, well, this is what it looks like now. You yeah, know? And so we're putting more and more of that kind of stuff out there, which is cool. It's like either you're telling them what you just did or you're just doing it in front of a camera. So, yeah. so what's your advice to these founders like who want to get better at organic, right? You were talking about how most of them already got paid media figured out and they're like, Oh, we want to get organic. And they're like, that's why they're coming to you. Cause they're yeah. like, you know, you guys, you know, came out of nowhere and now your organic is so strong. What do you give them as advice? Well, I, 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 yeah, I would say first, no, <laughs> nobody comes to us and says we want to do organic like you yeah, guys. Yeah. And they no actually one. all know that's not typically a priority for where they're at in business. It's okay. really not for most of them. Um, so that's the first thing I'll say. And the second thing that I will say, or that she will say that I will say after her, um, is that a lot of things is sequence in the business. And so usually zero to three million ish, you know, is, uh, is product market fit. So the whole objective of that phase in the business is just, do people want to buy what you are selling? Right. Um, and so it's like, okay, you have made some sales and the mistake that most people make is they think, okay, well, marketing got me here. I should market more. And that's usually not the case. Usually now it's like, okay, we have proven product market fit, but we are not getting any referrals. We're not getting a lot of word of mouth. And unless we clean up all the back end and increase customer lifetime value, put, put all the infrastructure in place so that we can get more ascensions, build it back, you know, all the other things that are required to really create an exceptional customer experience. Um, you become a only marketing company and then it becomes very difficult to scale past maybe 10 ish million because you have so many people falling out the back that you just like every month you have to sell twice as many as you did the month before just to stay the same. And so, you know, f- for us, it's like, okay, zero to three, you got your product market fit you know, three to 10, we have to clean up the back end. And usually just by cleaning up the back end without even increasing the uh, sales velocity or number of units sold per month, we can still triple the business just by massively increasing how much each customer is worth to us and how many customers those customers bring to us. And then at that point, now that we've the ex- expanded LTV, expanded gross profit margins, et cetera, and the infrastructure to scale, then we have these new metrics we can go and attack new acquisition channels and be inefficient at scale because we have so much margin that we can work with. Right. So- Talking about churn, you know, in, in a lot of e-learning, yep. um, many people buy, say, a mastermind, right, or something, yep. and they they go into it knowing that, like, oh, you know what, I'll, I'll do it for a year, and then uh, I'll try a different mastermind after that, right? Like, typical somebody's attitude if they want to go learn something. How do you keep that from happening? You mean you, leave? Yeah. Or stop them from leaving? So it depends on, because there's, you know, levels. There's, you know, courses, there's coaching programs, there's masterminds, things like that. Um we have to separate out the consumables from the one-time purchase. So like education, for example, is a one-time purchase and information decreases in value precipitously over time. The day before you learn something, it's much more valuable than the day after you learn it, (laughs) right? And so that's where having information only becomes very difficult from a continuity perspective. 
Um, the things that are consumable that people can use month in, month out are accountability. They can use tech support. They can use a community. So those are all things that people can consume on a consistent basis. From a uh, from from increasing the stick, you know, if we increase the quality of the community overall, and if we can appropriately adjust the price to match the value or be less than the value that they're receiving over time. So it's not uncommon to see a year one price be higher than a year two price because the the value diminishes once you have access to the network. And then the new value that's being consistently delivered is the new people who enter the network and the new information that comes, you know, that gets put into the programs and the trainings and things like that. And so, but that might be less than the learning of the initial skill. And so it's really finding that sweet spot where we can keep the customers and make sure that we're pricing based on the consumable, not on the one-time thing. Yeah. That's exactly what I figured out with future flipper was, you know, at, at first people would do it for a year and they'd be like, okay, I learned what I wanted to learn. And like, that was good. But then we realized like, man, people stay for the community. Like you said, yeah. the network, the accountability, you know, the camaraderie of just coming to an event every quarter and they love it. And, you know, to make it even sweeter, I did exactly what you said was I, I cut the second year um, price in half. And I just said, Hey, you know, it's half the price and you know, it'll be that price as long as you want to stay in like, yeah our retention skyrocketed just from doing all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. If you think about it really, like when people are, if you look at like anything customer success, they always put like basically it's uh, results and experience. And so it's just like understanding that most, I think in this space, typically like e-learning masterminds, they have the results there, which is like you're getting the network, you're getting the information, you're getting all of this, but they actually forget about the experience, yeah. which is like, did you set expectations properly with the person of what they're going to get even? Because some people join for network, for some join for the education. And then right. did you onboard them well? And then what's the, how often are you talking to them? Are you proactive with your communication? And so a lot of people actually look at Gym Launch and they say, oh, it's a digital you know, uh, information business. And I'm like, dude, we had a 40-person support team. You know, because yeah. we were so focused on the experience, like every time someone had a baby, a wedding, a birthday, a holiday, like a, their first trip, they made a certain amount of money. It's like we're constantly pouring into them. And I think that's the intangible stuff that people don't want to leave because they have the relationships. And so I think the relationships and the feeling that you give those people is longer lasting than the education all in all, because people are loyal to a person, not necessarily to a thing. Right. And one of the points that Layla made there, I'll just zoom in on real quick, which is, um, Asking people why they're joining sounds really simple and obvious, but people are solving different problems when they're buying the same thing. And so having a personalized experience for how they're going to consume the product and the service at the onset, giving kind of like a unique roadmap is one of those things that will dramatically enhance the value that they're receiving from the program because usually most people deliver way more stuff than someone can consume. And so it's like, okay, how can I give you the shortest path to getting the value that you want the way you want to receive it? And so like, that's a huge part. And then, you know, some of the other cool things is using that network effect that you have a for the network, but also for group purchasing power. So if you, let's say, let's say just for math sake, let's say your first year was $12,000 and your second year was $6,000. If you have a group of 200 entrepreneurs or 500 entrepreneurs who are in this network, we have a huge amount of buying power. And so there's normally services and products and things like that, that everybody probably frequents that may or may not be yours, you know, that you own. And so you can bundle in the savings from the, the group purchasing power to be in excess of the absolute cost of the mastermind. And then it be, becomes a savings to be a part of the association or whatever. Right. And so there's like ways that you can stack the value that makes it just so irresistible and such a no brainer for people to stay that they're like, well, shit. Yeah. I mean, it makes the, I'd feel stupid to say no. Right. And then right. that's the idea. 
As the world starts to go more digital, you need to be aware of which businesses are going to thrive in the future. One of the obvious ones is e-commerce. In fact, last year, e-commerce sales did over $4 trillion globally, and it's continuing to grow. Now, if you're like most people, you probably don't have time to learn a whole new industry and start a new business. But there is another way. You could partner with us at Lunar Ecom. We have over 300 e-commerce stores that we have created and managed for our clients. And the best part is, it's completely passive on their end. The business model is very simple. You cover the cost of creating and running the store. We handle everything else. We pick the products. We handle fulfillment, returns, and customer satisfaction. After all that, we split profits at the end of the month. This means that when you win, we win. If you want to learn more about how it works, you can watch our case study at LunarEcom.com. I believe that the e-commerce space is going to continue to explode as the world goes digital. So make sure you're with the right partner who's going to be ahead of those trends. So go schedule a call with my team today at LunarEcom.com if you want to learn about how we can start taking your passive income to the moon. Most people want to get rich at all costs. They make sacrifices with their family, their health, and their faith all in the pursuit of money without even realizing it. But what if I told you it doesn't have to be that way? What if you could grow your wealth in all areas of life? Well, it's possible, and that's why I created The Wealthy Way. It's a community of people striving to grow together in all areas. And we have multiple tools for you to use that are completely free. You can get access to The Wealthy Way Planner, where you can set goals and hold yourself accountable on a daily basis. We also have our Wealth Builder Academy, which is over four hours of content teaching you how to manage your time, create the right goals, and all the biggest secrets I've used to grow my life, not only in my net worth, but in all aspects. Lastly, we have our Discord community where thousands of wealth builders are all over the world encouraging one another and growing together. And once again, all of this is completely free. There are no upsells. There are no hidden catches. For me, this is a passion project, and I want to build a community of like-minded people. So if you want to start living the wealthy way today, go to WealthyWay.com. There you can get all the free resources like the course, planner, and Discord community. So go to WealthyWay.com. Yeah, so speaking of, you know, you, you referenced your book um, subtitle there, you know, offers... What, what's the subtitle offers? You how to make offers. Yeah. Better. How to make offers so good. People feel stupid saying no. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about the book earlier and just like all the different ways to market. And I know you're coming out with a whole series of books and yeah. everything else. And the next one's about um, generating is leads leads. And, you know, you've talked about how it's, it's taking a while with all the revisions and everything <laughs> <Yeah>. else. And <laughs> <laughs> it's been a beast. It's been a headache. And I remember I actually asked you, man, this was maybe like four or five. I go, Hey, you know, how are you publishing them? And you're like, just on Amazon Kindle. <laughs> and I was like, really? I was like, who's writing them? He's like, I am. And I was like, what about every, you're like, I'm just doing it. And I'm like, Holy crap, dude, to do all of that. Like I wrote, I wrote my one book right over there. And that was like four years ago. And I was like, I don't think I could ever do that again. That was so difficult to like write it on my own. Yeah. Yeah. It's but, tough. But <laughs> Alex it's, didn't write his first book, even thinking he was going to publish it. Like, I don't think people realize that. Like, he was literally writing it, and he's like, I don't know if I'm going to do anything with this. Like, I just don't. I think I'm just writing it for myself. He's like, we could actually use it with the companies. It'll be like a manual. manual. It's exactly what it was intended yeah. to be. And so then, fine. It was like one day he woke up in the morning, and he had said, like, oh, if, I, if I'm going to I'll do it. You know, if I'm going to publish it, maybe I'll do it in, like, a few months or do something like launch, that. Or do like do a big launch. Do a big launch. I would do yeah. this whole thing. And then I kept telling him. I was like, well, if the thing is good enough, which I'd read it, like, probably six times by this point, I'm like, it is fantastic. Like it's going to blow up. Like you don't need to do anything. 
And he was like, I, and then one day you woke up and you were like, I'm, I put it on, I put it on Instagram and it's on Amazon. And I was like, it's on Amazon Instagram. He was like, yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? And I was like, I don't even know where to log in to like, you know, make sure the shit's going well and stuff. And so it was a little bit of a shit show, but it, you know, he made one post and no marketing, no other posts about it, nothing. Just, it just literally went viral off word of mouth. I mean, it was insane. People don't believe us. They're like, you had to have pumped something. I'm like, he didn't pump shit, but people just aren't used to actually like the, how much time he puts into writing, like I am not somebody that gets bothered by how much somebody works, but like when he gets into writing mode where it's like weeks on weeks of like, right, I'm like, hello, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? <laughs> like, are you, uh, are you shriveling raisin in there? You know, he's in this closet. Like, yeah, you go in your closet and yeah. just yeah. turn off the he's, light. He's so dedicated to it and it's because he genuinely loves writing. Yeah. And I, I, like the books, like books are very special to me because like I've learned a lot from, you know, reading and um, like the, if you think about like when people die, the only thing that's left is like books. Like the only thing that has like stayed for 2000, 5,000 years is like written word. And so I think there's something magical about that. And so, um, that's what I, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to make it really, really good. And I think there's a big difference between like publishing a book and publishing a great book. And there's just a mountain more of work, but like, you know what I mean? Like there's probably 20% of the work is publishing a book compared to, you know, publishing a book that the product the value that people get is so far in excess of what they pay that they tell their friends about it. And so like, if you can, if you can achieve that ratio, then, then the product takes off and then it continue like it becomes its own marketing. Yeah. And so that was, that was the goal for the book. And I, you know, when I told Layla that I was like, I don't know if I want to promote it because either it's good enough that it will promote itself. Right. Why would I promote it? Because if people aren't telling their friends that it's good, then why would I want anyone else to read it? Right. hundred percent. And I think the thing you did that was genius was you made it a dollar. Like, <laughs> You know, like the virality of that, you haven't seen many people do that, right? Because like they spent so much time and money to get a book out there and to do the launch. And, you know, if they paid Ghostwriter and all this stuff and it's like to sell it for that, you know, it's like, well, what do I have to lose? Like, I might as well read it. And then like, <laughs> it just, it, it's kind of like, it made me realize too, that a book is pretty much just like content and you know we make content for free we we don't charge people to watch our youtube videos and stuff and it was like yeah that makes it like why not try it as a book and so watching what you did with that and obviously even if it was a dollar and it sucked nobody would watch it or nobody would share it right, right. so it was just like you got nothing to lose by buying this and, and just reading it other than your time and um dude it's just it's crazy like how viral it's gone because i read it when it maybe had a couple hundred reviews. And yeah. then I was looking at it before. I was like, this thing's got like 5,000 reviews now. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's been pretty cool. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. It comes up on one year in um, July. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully we can get 5,500, maybe 6,000 the first year. Should That's be cool. Crazy. Cause then I think about like, you know, what does it look like, you know, 20 years from now, are there going to be like 120,000 reviews? Right. Um, which would be pretty cool. Uh, so, but like, you know, to your point about the pricing thing, it's, like I priced it there because like, what was the objective of the book? The objective of the book is that it gets shared and that many people consume it. The objective is not like for me to make an extra, you know, $20,000 a month yeah, on a book. Two like, bucks a book. Yeah. Like well, I just, you know, and Amazon takes not. 66 of the, th of the 99. Like it really, like yeah. I did not make a lot of money in the book. Yeah. yeah. We, we said we want to be able to basically, you know, anything we put out there that's education or information. We just like decided like the, our brand, like, is just want we want all of it to be for free. So we don't want to make people pay for anything. We don't want to ever sell anything. It's just not that's not how we want to make our money. Yeah, we I mean we just make our money doing the stuff. You know what I mean? And so we wanted to just teach as many like the business model was simple. It's just okay, we really do do this stuff and why don't we just help as many people as humanly possible knowing that 99.9% .9 will never work with us and never give us a dollar and that's fine. And then 
of the people who are super executors because they can take the stuff without handholding and get themselves to 3 million, 5 million, you know, 8 million, 10 million a year. And then they're like, dude, I used all the stuff. I got past this level. Now, like I trust you because I used your stuff and it worked. So now I know the next thing's going to work. And then it just makes for such a better process of finding alignment, getting the right partners. And so it's just big picture. I don't want to sell more like $10,000 things. You know, I want to, I want to just find partners that were in it for 10 years and build something really cool. Do you ever see yourself starting? I know you're not going to charge for education, but do you ever see yourself starting like a mastermind for high level entrepreneurs? No, no, that was actually, (laughs) no, I mean, I I feel strongly against that. Yeah. Yeah. No, but even if you didn't charge, like just, I don't know, as a networking type deal. I think we've thought about doing like an event, yeah, you know, like a Mosey Nation event or doing a community on like Discord or yeah. something like that. So like we're trying to think of different ways. Hey. Um, <laughs> did, he prom- did he tell you to do Discord? Yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. We're putting yeah. it together as we speak. I, yeah. uh, I have two Discords right now. Okay. Oh, yeah. So they have about 15,000 in them. Okay. And uh, Discord's interesting because it's like 24-7. Yeah. And it's just like nonstop. People are just always talking, always communicating. It's, it's different than a Facebook group where it's yeah. like, yeah. you got to make a post and somebody might comment. Somebody might not. It's like yeah. a 24 seven chat room. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, yeah, I could see us doing something like that. Um, it's just, what's the objective? You know what I mean? Like for us, the objective is to, I mean, the mission of the company is to document and share the best practices of building world-class companies. And so we do that by building world-class companies and documenting it. And then we share it. And the key point of sharing is like, we share it so that everybody can have it. And I just, in my bones, believe that the only thing that makes the world better is entrepreneurial businesses. And so the more business owners we can equip with the skills and lessons that, you know, were very difficult and painful for us to learn, then the more good businesses will be out there. And even if none of them ever work with us, like we'll die and it won't matter and it's okay. And we're happy to just help people out. And that's, we're good with that. hundred percent. So how is it, you know, working together? I mean, you guys seem like you're just yin and yang. Like, you know, it just works so well just watching it from here. Does work well. It does work pretty well. Honestly, yeah. I mean, it's a tough one because we met and we started working together so quickly. And it's not for, I would say, like 99.9% of couples. And I think also a lot of couples aren't going to work as well together as we do. Because I think that we just naturally, you know, like I've always been kind of in this position with anyone that I've worked with, like the integrator to a visionary. Um, And Alex is naturally a visionary. And so I think we met and we both had, we had complementary skill sets and it was the right timing and we started doing it from day one and we're both really coachable and we both take ownership over our shit and don't blame each other. And so I think just who we were, we're lucky that we found each other and it worked so well. Um, but it, I'm, I'm working together. is great. We love it. Do you guys ever like, how do you split like between business and your relationship or is it all just flowing together all the time? It flows together. I mean, I would, I mean, there are, there are, there are moments where you're like, Hey, husband hat or Hey, wife hat, you know, like, mm-hmm. and you need to like clearly delineate. But most of the times, like the things that we enjoy talking about are the things that we're building together. You know right. what I mean? And so for, in a lot of ways we're talking earlier, like the businesses that we build are a lot like our kids. They're the things that we're bringing into this world and we're raising them and, you know, fostering them and whatnot. And so like, that's, that's what we enjoy. And we've always kind of decried the black and white, you know, you have to have one date night. You cannot talk about business. You have to, you should, you must, blah, blah, blah. Um, so stressful. I think you can do whatever you want. And this is like, this is the life that we like. And this is the marriage The we do marriage the way we, in, the way we envision marriage. And it works within our dynamic. 
and that's all we know. And so, you know, for people who have similar mission values and, you know, lifestyles, then I think those are the three things that for us have to be in alignment for any kind of long-term partnership. It's like, you got to want to do the same epics thing. You have to want to get there the same way. And then the lifestyle is like, how you do it in the meantime? Yeah. And I think, you know, what people, I'll say this, which is what people see in terms of like us in the business setting and working together and doing all that, like, we actually do, I have always intentionally like tried not to, because I actually, it was a pattern when we had gym launch, which is, I don't want to show like husband and wife, Alex yeah. and Layla in front of our team, because I don't want them to, that to detract or distract from business. And so like how we are in private when we're not in front of other people is very different than how we are in front of people too. Very. And that, like, <laughs> how like, so? that, we're super playful, okay. like super funny, playful, tons of humor. We joke around a lot. Lighthearted, you know, very touchy you know like yeah. that's one thing that like i actually when we had the company i was like oh like i just because you go just touch your spouse but in front of the team to like be hugging and doing all that while you're yeah. leading it quarterly yeah like, that's a little weird <laughs> so I, yeah. I, I try we, we kind of trained ourselves not to do that stuff in front of other people yeah and if anything like no like unified front it's just like i mean it's just like i would imagine it's just like parenting right i mean i don't yeah. have kids but i would imagine it's just like parenting unified front like we don't disagree publicly if there's ever anything like if there is anything we're like hey after the meeting, talk like, about it in private. Yeah, 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 like I thought we were not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where did that yeah. come from? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, I thought you were talking about this. Like, ooh, my bad. I'll let them know in Slack. No big deal. You know what I mean? Yeah, just being sensitive to other people in the room. You know, I think especially like so many people are hesitant to work for a husband and wife duo yeah. because they're worried like about the stability of the relationship and how you disagree and how you solve yeah. arguments and all that stuff. And the last thing we ever want to do is bring any any sort of personal element in like in front of our team besides I would say our intermediate team, which is like, you know, Caleb who does video, he's going to see us together, like in our own element and same with our EAs. But besides that, nobody really sees. Got it. Got it. So with all these businesses you're buying, how do you factor in like the economy? Cause I've heard you talk about this on, on your videos talking about like the vehicle at which, you know, you're mm -hmm. in, right? Like if you're, you got a ship that's got a lot of wind behind it, it's way easier to go nope. with that, right? And so we see the economy doing whatever it's going to do. How do you guys navigate this? <laughs> so I will take this. Um, so one is what's the marketplace we're going after? So the marketplace that we're going after is e-learning, which as a category is is set to two and a half X over the next five years. Now compared to like any other, anything else, that's great growth. So from a, like the wind behind the sales perspective, we've got that. Um, and I th you know, I think a big part of that is because uh, formal education is being disrupted. I think because a lot of people are looking or seeking out alternative education sources to make money, right? Because, and this is not me decrying or saying college is bad. It's just that a lot of people can't afford to spend four years and a hundred thousand dollars and not make money for that period of time to then make the same amount of money that they could just not doing that experience. And so like the opportunity cost is massive. And so if we could, and so I'll say, say it differently is that the demand for income producing skills has not gone away. The supply of formal, the formal supply of it has. And so they are seeking out alternatives. And so that is why that market is growing. So number one is that. Number two is that in a you know bad uh, economy future, especially an inflationary environment, businesses that have uh, low capital expenses and uh, high cash flow um, tend to be businesses that fare better because there's easier uh, pricing uh, power and because you don't have to you know put capital back into the business to expand it. Uh, it's easier to, those businesses are more flexible. And so the types of businesses that we work with are by nature, low capital expense businesses, high cash flow, And, um, and so for those reasons, we feel really well equipped for, you know, an inflationary period that might come in the future. Um, you know, everybody, you know, 
everybody has a plan until you get hit in the face. But uh, we feel as far as as far as we can see, we feel pretty good because things have to go on. And so it's like, okay, well, if we can mitigate these risks, at least then we can trudge forward and deal with things as they come. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes down to they're very flexible businesses. Yeah. And so if you have a flexible infrastructure and you have a flexible model, and these aren't businesses with huge capital expenditures and yeah. giant buildings and real estate all over the freaking world, it's not going to be that hard to pivot. And honestly, like during COVID, we had to pivot all three of our businesses. Was it easy? No, it was a pain in the ass. But did we do it? Yes. And it was something that made the companies better off. And so we factor that in when we're looking at the entrepreneur and are they the kind of person that could, you know, do well in economic downturn and then the company as well. And most people in an economic downturn, like the demand again for income producing skills does not go away. Right. The demand for, you know, other things that are like nice things uh, might decrease. But like when there is no money, the demand for money is just as high, if not higher. And so I don't, and many of the businesses that we have teach kind of niched income producing skills. So it might be, you know, how to fix a hair salon, how to be a plumber, how to whatever. Um, And so those are, those are, I think, always going to be in demand. Yeah. Second to that is we do try to pick people that we believe are market leaders or could be market leaders. Yeah, it's a big one. So we're not looking at people that are, distressed or that we don't think have the potential to take over their specific niche. Yeah. And so typically in an economic downturn, the market leader survives. And so we, we felt confident that those people could do that. Right. When you guys look at these different businesses, you know, you're talking about market leaders and, um, you know, as far as in the space and, and generating revenue and everything, but you know, like a lot of businesses probably like Jim launch early on are very dependent on you know, the founder, right? They're the face, they're driving all the traffic, even today in many of my businesses. Like, dude, if Ryan stops making content, you know, where the lead's coming from, (laughs) right? Yeah. Um, What do you guys do to address that, if any? You mean so that we could like potentially exit them in the future kind of thing? Yeah. It's always, honestly, with all of them, that is part of the plan. So that's something that takes... I want to say if you're starting, you're like, I want to sell my business and I want it to be like rock solid. Maybe it's 18 to 24 months. 24. Um, I would say if you want to do it right and, and like really rock solid three years. So most of these companies are three year to five year plan involves that. So it's how are we going to basically like, you know, diversify our risk of the founder, you know, because at some point if they want to exit, I think most of them want the freedom to choose, right? Like they don't necessarily want to exit, but they would like the freedom or the opportunity to decide at that point in time. And so we are always setting them up for that. And so it's, it's, you know, I think that it's more complicated when you are the founder than when you're somebody like myself looking at it, because I look at it, I'm like, you just have to put other people, you probably, for every Alex, I need like 10 people. Right. Yeah. And that's all it is. It's just the 10 people that fill those skills get gaps. And then the 10 people that can, you know, essentially act as characters to fill in for one face. Right. So can 10 people fill the gap of one Alex? Yes. Is there more operational complexity? Yes. But it's a more sturdy business. So oftentimes like a personality brand, it's basically diversifying and adding, going from like one personality to like, you know, you go to Disneyland, it's not just Mickey Mouse, it's all the characters you've got, yeah, you've got Alice in Wonderland and Snow White and like all these people. It's like, how do we create that within each of the businesses? And so, you know, a lot of those businesses, they have people that, you know, are niche experts teaching their, you know, customers because they're coaching businesses. And those people typically, you know, you kind of make subject matter experts that can take over a different subject matter. Um, and then the other one is taking, you know, their leadership team and kind of like raising them up to be more forward facing, kind of taking the internal and making it external. So there's a few different ways you can do it, but it's just a process. And if you, if you do it over time, it's honestly not that hard. Yeah. You, you pretty much described what I've been thinking. Cause like, I don't want to sell, but yeah, you know, I'd like the, to mm-hmm. have the option one day. Right. 
And so we started thinking about this at like the one I'm most prevalent at, which is the real estate education business, right? And so I said, you know what? We're really good at making content. Why don't we just produce it for other people in the community, right? And so we took like our best students who I thought were great on camera. We took our coaches, everyone else. And so we created a whole separate YouTube channel, Instagram, everything else. And they're growing really quick just because our post-production team makes them the exact same. Like it's just send us the videos and we'll make the thumbnails and everything else that we know works. And so that's actually helped out a lot. And like we're launching a new podcast. I am not the host, you know, and just trying to diversify. I think the more that you edify those people. Yeah. So it's like the more that one you associate with them, like you're seen with them before they're on their own. And then you edify them when they are on their own. And you consistently do that over and over and over again. And just like as an added point, because this is the subject of the next book, um, lots to say on this. Um, (laughs) But like typically if it's a founder face, you know, face forward thing, then it's going to be through paid ads or organic for the most part. Right. And there are so many other ways to get customers. And so it's like, okay, well, how do we get an affiliate channel set up? How do we get a referral, you know, a really strong referral program in place? How do we get uh, a big manual outbound team set up? Uh, how do we, um, how do we do huge blasts, uh, you know, to different lists that we can, that we can hit. And so there's, there's these different things that we can set up and we can do that. Uh, and by building an employee team, we can build customer teams, we can build affiliate networks. Um, all of those things we can do that are not founder facing at all. And I can tell you that when, when we, when we, when Jim launch, uh, the sales past 50% of total sales came from the outbound team. I can't explain the amount of like peace of mind to just know that every day we're doing 5,000 dials and that's going to turn into, hundred grand or whatever. You know what I mean? And so we just know that if I die tomorrow, all these people have jobs, all these families are secure, mortgages are paid, like everything's going to be okay. And that like, and that's why, you know, a private equity or whatever feels comfortable coming in to purchase a business like that because they're like, oh, they're not only diversified across um, channels, but they're diversified across methods of acquisition. Right. It's not just social media. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's just like one, yeah. right? Like we could cold call, we could cold email, we could cold DM. Like there's so many different ways that we could do this. We could build, we could do paid ads to get affiliates and then build a thousand person affiliate. Like, so prestige labs was a hundred percent affiliates. It was all affiliates. Yeah. 3000 affiliates. Um, Allen was a hundred percent affiliates. We actually had super affiliates. We had a two level affiliate set up, um, in, in Allen because for the same reason, I was like, I didn't want to be the face of this. And so, there's so many ways you can do it. And even like, even in the paid ads, you can put the mascots, but you can also put your customers more, right? Have the, have the customers and the results and the experiences and the, and, and the workshops and things like that be far more prevalent because at the end of the day, like they don't really care about us. They care about what they see in us. They care about what they relate to. And so if we can, if we can draw that line or just kind of like lean into that more, we can kind of like step off camera and it's like, oh wow, this person is just like me and this business helped that person succeed, whatever. Yeah, no, I love that. So you mentioned that if you're going to replace the founder, it might take 10 people to replace Alex, right? What, what are you guys doing to recruit top tier talent for ourselves in general for you and, you know, helping the founders, you know, hire better. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, we're at a point now where it's actually, we're attracting a lot of top talent, yeah. which is yeah. something that I haven't had for the last six years. Um, <laughs> it's, unfair. it's honestly, it's really like an unfair advantage. It's not unfair. And that's what I've experienced it's too. Been I accumulated. Tell- yeah. I tell people, I'm just like, I make a post and we get so many like yeah. hot applicants and it's great, but like, that's not the reality for most yeah. people. Yeah. So for most people, I mean, like when we had gym launch, like to get top level, top tier talent is an investment. You know, I think that there's two ways that you can get it, which is one, you can go through your network and you can try and literally like pull whatever favor you can to get your first top level person. 
And if you can get one, that edifies you to every other person that you're ever going to talk to that it's not a crazy idea to join your company, right? So like for Gym Launch, like we got our CFO um, and I'll go with the second way, which is using a recruiter or paying somebody to go recruit if you don't have that in-house because the thing is a lot of people don't have recruiters in-house. They also don't have the time to dedicate to really finding the right kind of person. So, I mean, we forked out a lot of money on a couple positions and I'm glad because once you have one or two people that are top tier talent that you did pay a lot of money for, it then those people have networks and then those people also edify you. So you start to look more legit. So it starts to legitimize your company. And so then you do attract talent more naturally. um, Whereas in the beginning, you just don't have that advantage. So you don't have anything to leverage besides your money. And so it's, you know, either your time, you can try and DM and, you know, on LinkedIn and crap yourself, I guess, as a founder, which, I mean, I've done it. Um, or you could pay a recruiter to do it for you to find that talent. Um, I really just think, like, we basically gotten in, I'll tell you how we found our CFO. We got an in with one of our friends who said, I can get you with this recruiting company, but they typically only take companies above $100 million. And at that point, we weren't there. And he was like, but I'll tell them, like, how fast you're growing and all this stuff. And so because of that, we got to use them. And because their name, their yeah. brand of recruiting, right, so when they reached out to somebody, they're like, oh, shit, they're like, they were literally number one in the nation. So they're like, I'm going to answer to them because they're the number one firm. And so I think you have to associate with somebody else's brand if you don't have a strong enough yeah. one. And so for our companies, like at Acquisition, when they were trying to fill roles for them, you know, like we do leverage ours to find people for them because we have so much inbound, like, hey, do you, do you need an operator for a company? Do you need a sales manager? for a So we can just... Yeah, throw that back into the. And it's companies. a big competitive. You know, that's a big thing that we can help with the portfolio companies because also, like to to her point about like the legitimacy, if they're like, oh, your portfolio is doing you know, 150 million a year, they're like, okay, like yeah. I feel much better that you guys are all on board in this and you guys are an investment firm that's really like sees something here too. So then they feel way more at ease, and so we will you know we'll screen and vet some of the, the final candidates, especially like leadership and up. And so like we can attract them, we can vet them, and then we can place them. And then it also gives us, from an operating perspective, we get multiple lines inside of the business so we know what's going on. Because it's you know sometimes the founder doesn't communicate all the time because they're busy, whatever. And so we have other people who are in the, in the company that know and like and trust us too. And so it gives us so much more intel to how the business is doing so we can keep a much better pulse on what we can do to help them. So, so you're telling me Acquisition.com is a recruiting company now. That's... I mean, <laughs> I mean that's a, actually... Yeah. It, yeah um, because when we were deciding what we wanted to build, you know, Alex was saying, this is what I want. And I was saying, this is what I want. And then we kind of put something together. It's always like a mesh of the two. Um, and so like what I really love doing is finding talent for people. Like yeah. I love doing it for my own teams. And so I was like, I, I think I'm good at it. And I think I'm really good at helping people with it. And so that's why we decided like the most hands-on piece that we are with the businesses is recruiting. So it's, it's pe- recruiting people, their leadership. And that was the number one thing you said from the beginning. Yep. You were like, people, yeah. like, that's what they all need. Yeah, And it makes sense. Like that's the thing you're helping probably the most with it's the point. it's the phase of growth that they're in so part of it might just be that that tends to be the problem that most of them are at and so we have morphed ourselves into becoming like the best solution for that thing i don't know if it's the chicken or the egg but just the more high quality people we place into enterprises where there's a deficit the faster the growth is and so we just like everyone's one higher away from the business of their dreams yeah no i 100 agree and i mean for acquisition.com it gives you guys so much of a competitive advantage, not only just like, yeah, we're going to potentially give you money. You're obviously going to get our expertise, but by the way, you're getting our network too. Yeah. It's like shark tank. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's super cool. Well, I really do. I could talk all day to you guys. Cause there's just so much, you know, you guys have going on and your knowledge and everything, but you know, I appreciate you guys coming on the show. It's been a lot of fun and, uh, I know the audience got a lot of value out of it. So 
Yeah. I mean, we appreciate you having us on. Yeah, yeah. and I it's appreciate- only a 15-minute drive. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. No, and I appreciate the questions because it was, um, you know, we don't get to talk about like- as Our much higher-level business stuff or what we do every day that often. Um, and yeah, never. Uh, <laughs> so uh, this was actually really fun for us because we almost exclusively talk about this. We talk about this stuff every yeah, day. This is all we talk but about. But nobody asks yeah. us about it. Yeah. yeah, I have no one to talk to about it. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I, they were all just selfish questions that I've been wondering. <laughs> well, so, that was good. So we like talking about, so. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. Well, cool. Um, guys, if you like this episode, definitely go check them out on social media. We'll link to all their links below. If you got a business that's got 3 million or more in revenue, go hit up acquisition.com to help you out, as obviously. And, uh, you know, if you like this podcast, leave a five star review, share it with a friend. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Thanks for watching The Ryan Pineda Show. If you want to work with me, head over to ryanpineda.com. You can find my courses, coaching programs, and upcoming events. We also have free resources you can download, so head over to ryanpineda.com.